0: first thing that i'm going to ask you to do is write down a definition as we begin talking about the church (coughs) today we're talking about church discipline i'll explain why we're talking about church discipline here in just a moment but i want to get a few preliminary things down for you first the greek word for church is ekklesia we'll give that to you up on the screen we would transliterate that e-k-k-l-e-s Ia Ekklesia. And what the word actually means is probably assembly. Assembly would probably be the best rendering of that. Now why I don't necessarily agree with our brothers and sisters in the Assemblies of God church, I would say that they got Ekklesia correct. Uh, The fact that it's considered an assembly. And just to give you a brief definition, a local assembly spiritually united in Christ with an autonomous nature. I encourage you, please write that down. It's important. A local assembly, spiritually united in Christ, with an autonomous nature. And I think that it's important for us to see, number one, it's a local assembly. Now, there are there some verses that speak about the universal church? Yes, there are. There's 124 mentions of the church in the New Testament. Over 90 of them deal with the local assembly. When we deal with the idea of it being larger, the, the uh, worldwide church, if we want to say it that way, I hate using the word invisible church. There is no such thing as an invisible church. That's usually the people who don't come to church are the invisible church. All your deer hunters right now are the invisible church. Hey, I'll let them have it. Think they're more likely to catch a deer because they worshiped Jesus or didn't worship Jesus. Let's just be honest here. And by the way... 50 no 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 by the way if you go to tractor supply there is an entire clothing company called catching deer and they have a display don't they mitch mitch is sending me pictures you were right all along i said that's why i'm the pastor i'm just kidding that's why i'm wrong (laughs) catching deer it's a clothing company i plan on going to get it and wearing it often so (laughs) the church is a local assembly secondly it's spiritually united which means that we don't all have to look alike spiritually speaking we are why because we have the indwelling christ we have the indwelling holy spirit we've all been justified before the sight of god because of what christ has done But as far as on the outside, we're not mandated to look like one another. I guarantee you, if I have my brothers and sisters at resurgence come in and sit down, you'd wonder if you were in the right church. Very different crowd. Still believers? Absolutely. And so it's not about uniformity in the church. That's not the goal of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is very much about extreme diversity in the church, but never as far as doctrine is concerned. We are spiritually united, and we're united in a common purpose, Christ. We are united in Christ Jesus as the God-man who has died to save us from sin and is raised from the dead. In fact, I would say that by that definition is how you determine a cult. You can determine a cult because they are not united with you in Christ. They think that Christ was a good man. They think that Christ might have been a God. But as far as being God in the flesh who created all things who died for the sins of the world they'll get away from that pretty quickly and that's how you can count them out. But it's also important an autonomous nature which means we're self-governing. We don't answer to anyone. There is no Pope of Grace Bible Church with the exception of Pastor Steve. (laughs) But he would agree with me in that. There, There is no hierarchical Answer to person. We're an autonomous church, which means we deal in-house, locally, with issues. And that's why we deal with this idea of what it is to do church discipline. Now, I want to give you two clear, distinct goals that are laid out in the Scriptures. Okay? So if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians 4. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 4. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down that this is the earthly goal of the church. The earthly goal of the church. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And I'm going to bring this point out when we get into spiritual gifts in January, February. We're going to be taking a long time through spiritual gifts. But look at verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, real quick, <clears throat> many times this has been looked at as, well, these are gifts that are given to the church. Yes, but not in the means of what we would consider spiritual gifts. These are spiritual offices that are to be upheld in the church with which people who have spiritual gifts have been called to fill these offices in order to... um Exercise that function. In other words, I'm called to be a pastor. But I'm called to be a pastor not because I have the gift of pastor. There is no gift of pastor. However, there are gifts of things like preaching and teaching and exhortation and knowledge and wisdom and giving and helps and administration and ruling. Those last two of which I have no business playing with at all. So there are certain, thank you. I love it whenever everybody amens the derogatory comments. That's always really good. That's how you know a spiritually healthy church right there. But these offices have been given to the church for a reason. Why is that? What is the earthly goal of the church? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Notice that my job is to equip you to be doers of the word. That's the idea. To build up the body of Christ. That is the end result. By receiving the word, we put it into action. By putting it into action, we begin to edify and encourage one another. By edifying and encouraging one another, we build ourselves up and we become a mature local body. Look what it says in verse 13 until, now notice there's a time, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Notice the word unity. Again, if the body of Christ is anything, it is unified. And unity of the faith, unity in sound doctrine, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. In other words, we can't afford to be a local assembly of toddlers in Christ. It does no good. Why is that? Because all we do is whine and end up throwing up all over ourselves 24 hours a day. The work of the ministry never gets accomplished that way. And so the goal of receiving sound doctrine is to feed on it. We're told by Peter to long for the pure milk of the word, whereby we will grow up into salvation now that doesn't mean after you get enough bible doctrine you'll get saved it means that as you receive bible doctrine and you're applying it to your life you begin to understand about the differences between justification and sanctification and glorification and you start living with the end in mind and therefore conducting yourself now in a fear of the lord that's the idea it is the maturity in christ Notice it says here, a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, God wants to invite us into the fullness that is Christ so that Christ is living his life through us and we are no longer living our lives. We have surrendered our lives to Christ. Surrender is not a go to heaven when you die term. Surrender is a, I already am saved and know Jesus, but I'm recognizing points in my life where I need to humble myself and I need to give it up and allow for his lordship to be dominant in life. I do not believe in lordship salvation, but I very much believe in lordship sanctification. And that is becoming more and more set apart from this world because of who Christ is and him holding greater value the more that I feed upon the word and the spirit enacts that in me. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children, notice the idea of maturity and immaturity, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But instead, we are to speak the truth, how? In love. Love is the indispensable attitude that must constantly coat the body of Christ. No one cares how much you know about Jesus if they know for a fact that you don't love. They do not care. So this idea of us being unified in sound doctrine, growing into the fullness of Christ, and speaking forward the truth, it has to be manifested in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from which the whole body, that's us, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Now, if you underline things, you just missed a point to underline because it shows how important it is to be doers of the word. Watch what it says again. According to the proper working of each individual part who is that all of us you need your kneecaps you need them somebody just amen the need for kneecaps it's true and whoever the kneecaps are in this local assembly we need them desperately You will never be able to run the race with endurance without kneecaps. It's impossible. Hopefully, you see through the absurdity and you get how dire that is. Can you see my kneecaps? Not necessarily. Would you want to see my kneecaps? Probably not. But it doesn't change the fact that they're still there, it doesn't change the fact that they have a function. And it doesn't change the fact that my body overall would not be able to function without their presence doing their job, being located where they are, as the Lord has seen fit to knit me together. It is no different with the body of Christ. Every single member in this room, and even those who weren't able to make it for some probably ungodly reason today, are indispensable figures to what makes up the local body of Christ. Every person is significant. Every single person. See, I'm going to preach on this and not even get to what I'm supposed to talk about today. Every single person is indispensable. Now, with that being said, keep that in mind and look how it moves forward. Working properly of of each individual part. Now, watch watch this. Causes. Here's what happens when every single person operates... In doing the work of the ministry, because they've received the word, and we will get to this later, according to your spiritual gift in the body of Christ, here's what it does. It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In other words, we all become self-feeders. No longer are we wearing bibs. No longer are we slobbering all over the place. In other words, we find ourselves holding our forks properly, wiping our mouths when we need to, taking a drink at regular intervals. We find ourselves being able to fully digest everything that is being put before us because love is the permanent attitude that is building itself up as we are each working as we're supposed to do in the body of Christ. Everybody with me? This is the earthly goal of the church. This is what Jesus wants for his body on earth. Now, What is the heavenly goal of the church? Turn over to chapter 5. See, this is the reason why I like Ephesians so much. There's so much good stuff here. And one of the greatest mistakes we would ever make in looking at verses 22 through 33 is thinking that the subject under consideration is husbands and wives. It's not. The function is, how does the church exercise itself and relate to its great husband and Savior, Jesus Christ. The marriage is simply a model of what he is unfolding right here. Look what it says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. I didn't get any amens. Okay. Husbands, love your wives. Gave you a chance. Take it while you got it. Just as Christ also... What? Oh, it went up on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. That joke's pretty old. Okay. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ, watch this, also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, we know the event. Sometimes people will say, why? Last week when Jeremy was sharing about, you know, we know Jesus died. We don't know why. Here's the why. You ready? Verse 26. So that, here's the reason, he might sanctify her. What does it mean to sanctify set apart. It's the idea where we get the word holiness from, or what it is to be holy. The church has been called to be holy, to be set apart from the world, to not dabble in worldly garbage, to not to have anything to do with the culture influencing the word of God, okay? Notice this. So that he might sanctify her, how does he do that? having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? Do you realize that you hold a big bar of soap in your hands? And it is meant for the scrubbing of our minds and our hearts. In other words, that's how Jesus works in order to have a sanctified body. The word gets rid of the ick. If you want to quote that, you can. Verse 26, or sorry, verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Stop. When is a time where the Lord is going to present the church to himself? That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, it's not talking about husbands and wives. Husbands, you ever try to present your wife to yourself? That's weird. So this is talking about Jesus doing it with the church. When? Nope. Nope. No? Well, kind of. Close. What'd you say? You're not, you're not thinking now, see? What do you think? The judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat of Christ. When all of our works will be under evaluation for what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. Pete's given a whole class on that. Pastor Steve is teaching a lesson on that today for Sunday school after church. You should stick around. Learn a lot of really good things. So notice, the word is used to clean the bride. And to clean the bride, why? For a day of presentation. And here's what's interesting about that. If that's what this is talking about, then it means not so much that we'll all be presented individually. I believe that will happen. But it means what? We will be presented how? As a body, corporately. Grace Bible Church will have a unified standing in front of the Lord Jesus Christ so that he can see what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that should be a sobering thought. Now notice what it says. He might present it to himself, The church, in all her glory, everybody see the big hopes there? In all of her glory, why? Because the church is a glorious entity if we will handle it gloriously. In all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, set apart and without blemish. That is the heavenly goal. For the church. Why? Because it's a heavenly presentation when this takes place. How you live now and how you operate now on an individual level matters for the corporate operation and edification of our church because one day we will be raptured or pass away and we will stand before the Lord at a given moment and we will give an account of our lives as he runs through everything that we've ever done as a body. This is why stagnancy in the church is unacceptable. Now, with that in mind, understanding there's an earthly calling and there's a heavenly calling, an earthly goal and a heavenly goal, I want to give you a quick, uh, uh, just a a quote by Charles Ryrie. Don't worry about writing it down. Mitch will get it on the website. It'll be fine. But I want you to pay attention to what he says. Christ's purpose for the church is to sanctify it and present it to himself without spot Or wrinkle. He desires nothing more than to have a local body bride to be standing before him in gleaming and shimmering white in his presence at this time. All the activities of a church should also aim at this goal, including discipline, for it too is designed to produce a holy character in the one who has to be disciplined which should automatically give you an inkling that if discipline within the church has to take place it's because holiness is lacking in a severe way now with that being said you might say why in the world are you bringing this up so early in the idea of the church the reason is is because jesus brings it up early In fact, take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 18. If you will think back as you're turning to Matthew 18, that two chapters before in 16, he talked about how the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. Does everybody remember that? If you remember, he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. Entrance into the kingdom was now going to come through the local body that was known as the church. And is the church founded upon Peter? Yes, but never in the Catholic sense that they think that it is. Peter was the first one to share with the Jews. Peter was the first one to share with the Gentiles. And by them believing and receiving the Holy Spirit, it opened the doors for a brand new entity known as the church. Completely separate from Israel, it is a brand new entity being the body of christ so it's interesting to see that jesus before the church ever starts in acts chapter 2 brings up two points about the church anticipating its arrival the first one he wants to let us know that ultimately we're going to be victorious the second one is you're going to deal with issues because the church is made up of people that's what he wants to show us so before we jump into this Well, what kind of sins qualify for church discipline? Adultery would be one of them. What's that? Excessive drinking, drunkardness, gossip, sowing discord within the body, covetousness. What's that? False teaching. That's why you check everything your pastor says with the word of God. You don't believe what he has to say. For that one, I will amen. Amen. I'm an extremely imperfect being. So you check everything by God's word, everything. In fact, you're probably familiar, you read through the New Testament and you find things like viceless, or you find, you know, you should no longer be doing those things. Any of those things done in an excess that when someone is held accountable for them, refuses to repent in response to that holding accountable, brings it into a church discipline situation. And so let's walk through and let's talk about how this is gonna be done. In fact, I would say it may be this way harmful sins harmful sins let me give you an example raise your hand if you could stand to pray more in your life throughout the week okay so all of you line up we're going to go through church discipline right now is that what we're talking about probably not and let's be honest by your admission you know this needs to be different in my life that's much different than ain't nothing wrong with me you see how that is And notice it all boils down to attitude. Why? Because the words reveal the heart. And if the heart is hard, it needs to be held accountable. It needs to be brought face to face with the word of God. Why is that? Because the word of God brings two effects upon a person. It all depends on how they want to receive it. It will either harden a heart or it will soften a heart. But if that person wants to harden their heart against the word of God, then they start moving through the process of church discipline. It's very simple. Now, is this fun? It's never fun. It's never fun. I have been involved between seven and eight church discipline things in my last church. I've had to deal with one here at this church. We actually had a situation that no one needed to know about because it was pretty scary. And it was pretty detrimental to the health of the overall body of the church. And fairness B, if I have to be honest about it, I had to call Jerry to come to my house and sit down with me in the living room to ask him if I just needed to make an executive decision on this and end this relationship with a person. And he encouraged me, you need to do what you need to do for the health of the church. So I thank God for Jerry Blystone. Church discipline situations are never fun. They're heartbreaking. You always wished for better for the person. In fact, I'm sure there's plenty of you that have been in situations where you're saying, you know, I don't understand it. I brought the word of God to this person, but they want to do everything but what the word says. They kind of out themselves, don't they? By the hardness of heart. Verse 15 of chapter 18. If your brother sins, now watch this. It's a brother in Christ, and we don't need to be exclusive on this. It can also be a sister in Christ. If your brother, yeah, us women are exempt. No, you ladies in your loopholes, stop it. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If a sin has taken place, go to him. Now, I'm going to give you two things here. We should always be in prayer about everything. But I would say in a situation like this, we could easily use prayer as an excuse to not do the right thing. Well, I just need to pray about it longer. Well, I just need to pray about it more. Well, I'm just not really for sure what the Lord wants. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, we know exactly what the Lord wants in a situation. When the word of God is clear about how something needs to be handled, we are wasting our time praying about what he's already affirmed in his word. Christians are real good at doing that. So notice, if your brother sins against you, there's a sin, you are to go to that person. And everybody see this word show? It's the idea of exposing. You are to convict them. You are to convince them, convict them of their wrongdoing. Now, does that mean you bring conviction upon them? No, you let them know that they're convicted. This was wrong. Now, stop for a second. How are you going to go to somebody and let them know that they were wrong? and have some credibility on your side you go in love attitude's very important and you go with the word of god in your hand here is the reason why this is wrong here's the reason why this is such an issue see it's one thing for somebody to argue with you it's another thing for somebody to argue with god and so you have to remove hearsay from the situation In fact, every step that is taken in this situation is the idea of removing the motor mouth, the manipulative person. You guys recognize that the body of Christ has manipulative people in them. They're never wrong, they've always got a reason, they're great liars. They can control themselves and use whatever situation they want to to their leverage. And if they find themselves trapped, they scurry like a trapped animal to get out of it. And it's always everyone else's fault but theirs. I have a situation like this with a a friend of mine right now. Some people that actually planted resurgence with us back in 2006. And there was about four years before that where she was involved as an 18-year-old intern in her youth group. And her youth pastor was dating someone publicly was dating another girl in the youth group who was 18 behind the scenes and having sex with her and was also trying to pursue my friend. And so when they brought this situation before the pastor, the pastor skirted it all under the rug, gave him severance pay and dismissed him and nobody ever talked about it for sake that it would damage the church. Now he's a pastor in Berean, Minnesota, just south of the Twin Cities, I think it is. And he was recently in view of a call to go to a church in Tennessee, and somebody made the mistake of a phone call, checking their references deep, and ended up getting a hold of somebody that was around at that time, and they say, do you know about this situation? And now these two girls who were played behind the scenes have started a website in order to expose this situation to the full so that he can no longer stand in the office of pastor and shepherd because he should have brought and brought under church discipline 17 years ago. And so now he's served in five different churches between then and now. Who else knows that he's preyed upon? But I tell you this, when he was brought to account for it, to give some sort of defense, it was always these girls' fault, never his. Manipulators are throughout the church manipulation would be a reason for church discipline pray for those girls pray that they would finally experience some sort of healing because they were abused it's not good so notice you go and you show them with a heart of love with the word of god remember the goal is never condemnation it's real easy to beat somebody over the head that's the case we'd be church disciplining everybody The goal is love and reconciliation for them to repent is the idea for them to change their mind, how they're thinking about their current life situation so that they will come back into a fellowship experience with the Lord Jesus. Notice you're to do this. Look at the location in private. Why? Because there needs to be discretion about the issue because church gossip can get out of hand quickly. Remember the telephone game from when you were in elementary school? It started as one thing, you ended up with something completely crazy when it got back around to you. How in the world did it get so distorted? People just shared information with one another. It always ended up being much worse than it was. Now, I think it's another important thing to look at here. Notice it doesn't say, if any brother or your brother sins against you, go and tell an elder. Everybody see that? Notice the way that that situation needs to be resolved first is between you and them. Why? It's a you and them problem. It's a you and them issue. Only you and them are going to come to a common consensus. In fact, a lot of conflict in the church would be taken care of if we would just expediently take that first step into resolving for the sake of reconciliation. Favorable reception is never guaranteed. In fact, look what it says after private, if he listens to you, and this word listens is very interesting. If they give attention, if they are approaching the situation with understanding, if they are well receiving of what you have to say is the idea. You all know this from having kids, right? You need to listen. What are you saying? They need to hear better. That's only part of it, isn't it? The idea is whatever you're receiving, you need to do it. It's the same idea here. If they listen to what you have to say in bringing this sin to their knowledge so that they can properly deal with it. Look what it says. You have won your brother. Now that's a happy day. You've won your brother. Yes. Yes. They're sensitive to the word of God and they're responding. And if anything I've done of which I'm at fault with them, they can express that to me and we can reconcile because we're unified in Christ and because the attitude has been one of love and because we're standing on the truth of God's word. And the goal is that we are all back in fellowship, not just with one another, but the greatest relationship fractured here is the one with fellowship with Christ. See, the situation's not really about us. It's smart. We're feeling the repercussions of it. But in stepping in and dealing with the situation, we are saying, no, brother, sister, the greater relationship that has been messed up here is the one with Jesus. How do we know that? Because every situation that we will ever deal with when we have a fellowship fracture with Jesus will come out somehow distorted because we're not walking with him. This is why 1 John 1, 1.9 is an everyday thing. It's an every hour thing. Moment by moment, choosing to walk in fellowship with the Savior. Confession of sin needs to be happening. So notice, you've won your brother. That word won there means to acquire by investment. To inquire by investment. In other words, Because you took the step to put yourself in the situation and to approach it as God has said to approach it. You actually believe that God was telling you the truth about how to handle conflict in the local body. And you did it. They listen, they respond favorably. You've won. You've received a greater return for the initial investment that you put into this situation. Now, I'm sure right now you're thinking, good grief, going and approaching someone who sinned against me, that's kind of scary. It is, especially if they're a master manipulator. It's intimidating. The results are not always guaranteed that they will listen to you. You may not win in your investment. Does that mean that we shouldn't invest in having the conversation? No. Thank you, Jerry. Anybody else awake? That means that regardless of what the outcome is going to be, you have the conversation anyway. This is wrong. Yeah, well, you don't know what you've done. And the reason why I'm so good at saying that is because I've heard it so many times. Yeah, well, they did this. Yeah, well, somebody else. Look everywhere but me. I'm not guilty. Garbage. Garbage. In fact, I would say that if you're approaching a situation where that's the type of attitude, you can go ahead and move on to the next verse because you did not win your brother or sister. And you didn't win them for not trying. You didn't win them because you weren't obedient. You did the right thing and your conscience is clear. You didn't win them because they didn't want to be one. You see that? There's a difference between people that want to be one and people that want to be right. That's important for us to understand. And if someone's goal in their life is only, I just want to be right all the time. There's nothing wrong with anything that I am ever doing. Move on to the next verse, verse 16. But if he does not listen, option B, if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So notice, if you're not received well, you get two or three more people. This is probably where leadership needs to come into the situation. This is where mature people in the body of Christ need to be taking a step forward and finally being made aware. And notice, do do you think that those leaders are to come and to plead with that person over unrighteous conduct, behavior, speech, thinking, lifestyle, whatever? Absolutely they are. Absolutely they are. But the goal at this point now is to have witnesses in place to the hardness of heart there's nothing wrong with me, leave me alone, why don't you go on and mind your own business, I'm doing my own thing. Okay, fine. You don't leave them alone. You come back with more people so that it eliminates the hearsay, the he said, she said. That's junk. In fact, if you notice, this is a quotation. It's all caps in your NASB. It's quotations from what? Deuteronomy chapter 19. Both in 17 and 19, there is a significance of what it is to have witnesses. Mitch, can we go there real quick? You don't have to turn there, but if you want to jot it down. It says here, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. You need witnesses. You have to call witnesses. For some reason, the Democrats are lacking witnesses. I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of hearsay. Maybe somebody should have followed Matthew 18 in this situation. That'd be a radical approach, wouldn't it? You Imagine the government start doing church discipline. It would never work. It's a government, not the church. Let's keep them separate. But notice it says here, two or three witnesses. No gossip, no hearsay. We just need an affirmation of facts and we are also going to encourage repentance towards the same issue. Now here's what's interesting. When it comes down to this point, notice that it's still in private. Notice it didn't say that there's to any public exposure. It goes to a few people and it stays there. Everybody got it? We haven't moved into the public realm yet. I have found that this is the place where people bail on the church. They leave. Well, if I just resign my membership, I can't be held accountable anymore. What does that tell you about their heart and their thinking? It's very hard. Somehow, because you went to the church across the street, Jesus stopped knowing what's going on. Notice the basic thinking about the attributes of God are out the window. In fact, when they bail out at that moment and they resign church membership, or I was never even really a member at all. Let me say this real quick. If you've been coming for any amount of time to this church, you're invested. If you bring your family to this church, you're invested. You are a candidate for church discipline, period. Because it's about the purity of the local body of Christ. Now, what happens if somebody goes to another body? Should someone call the pastor of that church and let them know? No. Why? If some troublemaker was coming to our church who refused to stay under church discipline and have a softened heart, don't you think I'd want to know about it before we had somebody creep in? I would definitely want to know about it. And I would ask them the question, why did you not submit to the leadership of your church? And then you know what I would tell them? Go back to your church. This is an issue I play on, guys. It's really not. Aren't they supposed to have a fresh start? They don't have a fresh start. They wanted to stay in sin and sin differently. In a different place. I don't care if you're sniffing cocaine in Florida or New York. You're still doing it. You see what I'm saying? Changing the location doesn't matter. The heart is the issue. The fellowship with the Savior is what's corrupted. In fact, they were told never to leave that local body anyway. Why? 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen tells you, the Lord placed you in the body as he sees fit. Don't you dare leave that body. Don't you dare walk away from the body of Christ where he put you in there to serve as the kneecap. Don't do that. They have a word for that. Coward. That's the word. Unrepentant. It's cowardice. Why? Because I want to live how I want to and I want to do what I want to do and I don't care about holiness even though we're told five times in the New Testament epistles to be holy as he is holy. I don't care about obedience. Well, the idea of Jesus recognizing me favorably at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not really concerned about that. Then you have a Bible deficiency and need to be taught again the elementary principles of the word of God. Because if you're living for now and not for eternity, I guarantee The Lord will bend you over his knee and he will paddle you senselessly. He has no problem doing it. Why? That's that's such a terrible view of God. Guys, don't forget, he's a father. And that's what a good father does. A good father seeks to lovingly correct the error in his children. And he doesn't care if it's this local body, that local body, the local body down the road. He does not care. You do not escape God. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The local body of Christ has been commissioned with the responsibility of executing this task. It is our job as a body to administer it. We have a responsibility to maintain holiness and unity in love. Therefore, sin situations have to be addressed. Well, that's not very gracious. It's very gracious. You could easily say, get out, you're too much of a problem. But to sit down and be long-suffering and patient with someone, to constantly exhort them and encourage them and plead with them, and let's use some other good New Testament words, beseech them, I beg of you, by the mercies of God, get out of this filth, get out of this junk. To me, that's a very gracious and loving thing to do to give someone an opportunity to make things right? Isn't that exactly what God did for us through Christ? Yeah. Think it through. Notice that every fact, and here's what's interesting about this word fact. Everybody see this word fact in verse 16? It's the Greek word rhema. R-H-E-M-A. It's where we, It's the word for word. We, we know that Jesus Christ is the word of God, the logos of God. The word, this is another Greek word for the word, word. Everybody got that? And what this means is something that is spoken audibly. It's the idea whenever it talks about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, and it says, and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and prayer are two offensive weapons, speaking audibly God's word and prayer. That's what that word rhema means, to be vocalizing something. So notice the idea there, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every vocalized objection is the idea, every uh, audible obstinance may be confirmed. Yes, Tom wasn't telling the lie about this situation. Two or three people had to go with him and we're confirming this person is denying that they're in sin and they have a hard heart verse 17 if he refuses to listen to them now notice it jumps straight to number or to part b what would part a be if two or three came you've what you've won your brother i had to make a greater investment but the victory was worth it was it not man i tell you what there isn't anything better and someone who has been steeped in sin to finally come to terms with and go, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Regardless if they got tears or not, I don't put much stock in tears anymore. Instead, what it seems that the New Testament points to is works in keeping with repentance. Repentance is a change of mind about a situation and admission that I'm wrong and that God was right. It's another thing to begin developing a track record that mirrors that conviction. I don't think that's uncalled for in the church. Why? Because they have the word of God, they have the power of the Holy Spirit, they have fellowship with believers, they can still attend the local body. I don't see anything that's not helping nurture them to complete success in getting out of this mess. So, notice if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to who? The church. In other words, if a larger confrontation, and I don't even like using that word, it makes it sound really like a witch hunt and it's not it's a loving plea for repentance but now it's time for it to go public it's time that everyone needs to know about this sin i've only made it to step three once i had a real dear friend in our church who you could just tell someone was eating at him it was bothering him he just wouldn't come to terms with it Come to find out later, he had cheated on his wife with two separate women within the span of a week, and he wouldn't get out of it. He was having pornography issues, and you could tell the spirit was raking him over the coals. And finally, when all of that came to a head, and we'd been dealing with him for probably a year at that point, I had to stand up in front of the body of the church and say, here's the situation with this person. I didn't necessarily need to get into all of the details that I knew about it. But one thing that the church needs to be concerned with is the fact that they're able to receive what is said about this person and look at God's word and go, yeah, that's sin. And I can give you chapter and verse of where that's at. It's sin. And it's not just sin. It's unrepentant sin. It's persistent sin. It's refusal to make whatever roads are necessary and to cut off whatever things are necessary so that you're not struggling in those things again. Now he's a completely changed man, completely reconciled to his wife, an amazing father to his kids. Instead of being a drain to be around, he now builds you up. He now lifts you up. He now wants to know how he can pray for you. And he now counsels other men with pornography addictions. He's a fascinating brother in Christ. I love him to pieces. He's great. What do you think would have happened if we wouldn't have presented him before the church so that they could call on him to publicly repent? He might be dead. We don't know. Thank God we don't have to live in the hypotheticals. What we can do as a church is observe the situation and do the right thing in response to the situation as Jesus has prescribed us to do. (laughs) Where did the time go? I looked up and it was 10 till. It's not anymore. All right. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, to the assembly. Now stop for a second. What does that tell you that the church did when the church found out about this information? The church as a unified body used whatever avenues were necessary to call this person to repentance for their sin. Every member matters. Which means... That if this is something that is publicly unfolded for everyone to see, we all need to be unified in the fact of, yes, this is sin. Now, that shouldn't be too hard to do, should it? Well, shouldn't we just be a little bit more compassionate? We are. We're calling this people to a greater relationship with Jesus and what they're settling for because they love their filth. And we're calling them to get rid of it. And we're saying we'll go to whatever extremes we need to to help. I had a girl that was sleeping with her boyfriend, and I went to her and said, this is not right. You can't be doing this. Well, I had nowhere else to live. The convenience excuse is always garbage. It was more convenient for us to be together. You don't know how much money we saved by shacking up. I didn't see it in the offering plate, so yeah. That's a smart aleck remark. But anyway, that's a problem. Who was the decision maker? Convenience. What did Jesus have to say about it? No. Your body's not your own. It's a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. Steward it properly. Confines of marriage have been given for that purpose. Claim 1 Corinthians 7 and get married or get out. That's it. And so she left the church because she didn't want step number three to be enacted. What was great was, eight months later, she came back in tears and repentance. And she stood before the entire church body, and she publicly confessed her sin to everyone and confessed that she was wrong. And there were tears of joy all around to receive her back into the fellowship. She would left of her own accord, but because the word of God and the spirit of God would not let her go, she was restored. When it reaches the public level, the church is to use every means necessary to say something. Well, I'm just not a very confrontational person. You don't have to be. The Lord Jesus Christ resides in you. It's not about confrontation. It's about truth. Don't lose sight in the psychological worldly arguments about what's really at stake here. Don't lose sight. Notice what it says after that and if he refuses even to listen even to the church, let him be to you a Gentile, as a Gentile, and that word Gentile there, you might say, wait a second, we're Gentiles. What in the world? That word means pagan. Someone who is operating in a godless fashion. It's the idea of ungodliness. It's what we would call a heathen. If you're not wanting to live, in pursuit of the lord and a love relationship with him then we need to treat you like a lost person and not just a gentile but also a what and we all know this one how much do we like the irs getting in contact with us we don't stay away from me get in your car and go down the road why did i say that because that's where tom lives down the road (laughs) literally let me give you a name of a guy now check him out. It's always by letter first. Okay, you're asking for a friend, right? I love it. <clears throat> Disassociation. and it's not necessarily that they're being asked to leave the fellowship. They're being told they're no longer welcome. Why? They won't repent because Jesus desires a holy body free of spot and wrinkle or any such thing and when overt acts of sin run amok and seem to be condoned by people in the church a little bit of leaven leavens the entire batch of dough now everybody can sin with no consequence it's not a big deal why not why don't we all just do it taking this decisive initial action is vital now i hate that we're out of time We're going to pick up in this verse next Sunday. Invite your friends. (laughs) But church discipline is a serious issue. Why? Because the health of the body is on the line. Now, let me ask you this question in closing. Is the fellowship that we experience with one another, is the respect and reverence for God's word, Is our unity in the spirit of Christ who is our head so sweet within the body of Grace Bible Church that if we had to come to the point of disassociating with someone because of willful, unrepentant sin, that it would matter because of what they're missing out on? I think that's a question that we need to answer as a body personally. let Let me state it differently for you. Are we so in love with Christ... That if we had to remove or dismiss someone from our fellowship, it would matter. The goal is to cultivate repentance and reconciliation. But if the presence of God is not understood and known here within our body of believers, then them leaving, going to a church was just a formality. This wasn't something detrimental that they need to deal with in their life because of the scope of eternity just an inconvenience for the moment. It was, a, it, was a, it was a road bump. An on-fire fellowship under the headship of Jesus Christ is what makes church discipline so effective. Missing out on that community of the saints. I think it's important for all of us to maybe pray about that type of issue. And our responsibility, every single person in the body's responsibility to act in accordance with what God's Word has clearly said. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time in looking at your Word, and it's not a pleasant subject by any means. But Father, you desire a healthy body, a spotless bride, blameless in all of her ways, to where we would all be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we would all be softened to the Word of God, that it would take root within us, and it would change us. Your desire is for us to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be building ourselves up in love, to be growing up in every way into him who is our head. We thank you, God, for such a high and lofty calling that we're not just an ordinary gathering of people, Lord. We are spiritually unified in Christ, and that is the highest calling on the face of this earth if our hearts are indifferent to accepting these sort of actions that you clearly prescribe, change our minds and change our hearts to be thinking more in alignment with your word. Give us wisdom. There's someone who has sinned against us, Lord. Let us be obedient in going to them in private so that by the investment made, we will win our brother and sister. Thank you, God, for your love. I can never talk enough about it because it's always there and never diminishes. It is continual. You are a great and awesome God. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.